and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black, back having escaped half-term soft play jail to regain control of the podcast. Uh, and joining me this evening on the podcast, it's writer, contributor to the blog and uh, the excellent offside line, it's Ian Hay. Hello. I'm giving you a wee new intro there. I thought I thought we needed to update Thank that. Um, you. you forgot the Scotsman though. So oh, and the Scotsman, of course, the Scotsman <laughs> as well. Um, all, all, yeah, all, all the papers. Ian writes for all the papers now. Um, and joining Ian, it's my sometime standing host of the podcast. It's John Anderson. <laughs> Evening, folks. Now, um, I wasn't here last week. Anything happened no. while I was away? John? It was a fairly quiet one. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was fairly standard. Kind of just done some stuff. Passed without incident, did it? It seemed, it seemed to be. I mean, even Ian's um, Ian's risky comments seemed to go down fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All, all quiet. Only a couple of comments in the blog as well. So, fairly quiet. So, I've got a list. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the podcast. I thought... I'll see how it goes without me. Um, you misgendered Laurie McKinnon, long-term listener to the podcast. Sorry, I corrected him. He did correct him, but then the thing is, though, you corrected him, and then John went full Donald Trump and just doubled down on it. <laughs> I was I was getting carried away with my own power at that point. <laughs> is it drunk? Drunk on the power of a, having drunk control. Drunk on power and whiskey. Yeah. Um, is it that thing we think I can just edit this out later and then couldn't be bothered? Uh, it was more uh, I thought I collected it out and then looked at it and went, I don't know how to. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, second second note out of the three, you did a quiz. We did we did a quiz and I, I think it was very, very popular. I would say it's an awesome addition. Um, tremendous even. The only, the only reason I don't do quizzes is for the exact reason that um, when I was listening back, I thought, this is why we don't do quizzes. It's because because most of the quiz ends up with just silence whilst people think. <laughs> it's not it's not wonderful for a podcast format unless you're willing to fill John. Well, that that is true. That is true. I I would take that as constructive feedback. It's constructive feedback. Next time you have to be you have to either describe what they might be thinking, or find some way of filling with some interesting facts yeah. or something or sing, or, or some music. Music, yes, yeah. yeah. Drum fills. Drum that exactly. Something, just something to fill the dead, dead air. But that's that's generally why we don't do quizzes because I'd, otherwise I'd have to fill while people think. Um, and the last one, John. Um, <laughs> we don't, we don't often. I'm, I joke about getting letters on this podcast. Uh, I keep saying we'll get letters if, when we say things controversial. Um, but who who should email me, John, on the day after the podcast? But <laughs> But Jeremy Bone uh, from Glasgow Warriors, Jeremy, uh, who um, you know, has been very helpful, very kindest in the past on the blog and the podcast and given us access to people and, um, and, and, and keeping us up to date with the goings on at Glasgow Warriors. Because what happened, John? Do you want to tell the listeners what you did? Uh, well, first of all, I'd just like to say hi, Jeremy. Hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I may have um, took some dud advice from a certain nameless Edinburgh supporter. And I, I think may... that's the key that's the key fact there. It was from an Edinburgh supporter. Uh, yes, and I may have got the ticket price five pounds wrong. Right. 
So yeah, amongst the, other things. Amongst other. So essentially, we got the ticket price. Somebody's. It was someone. Was it this someone's hands in the ruck last week? Yeah, it was. It was a submission from said nameless Edinburgh supporter who has a big ginger beard. Yeah. So Ian Wallace uh, emailed in with his hands in the ruck. <laughs> Uh, and and the essentially the 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 Glasgow Warriors prices uh, were wrong um, by five pounds, weren't they? Yeah. So we we'd said thirty two pounds. It turns out the cheapest ticket available is twenty seven pounds. Yep. And the games are done on a so the ticket prices stay the same throughout the season. They're not done on a game by game basis, um, and they're designed based on, I'm trying to remember Jeremy's email now, um, they're designed based on the demand for seats, so that's why they're different to Edinburgh yeah. tickets. And I don't think Glasgow chart, while we're, while, while we're, uh, we're kind of considering the Edinburgh-Glasgow bias and um, you know doing Jeremy a favour here, um, and bigging big in Glasgow up, Glasgow don't charge to be mascots, do they? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but no, again, I think they just uh, use the community. Like to, I think I they want... use their community clubs. I think probably. Yeah. Um, I don't want to commit to that, just in case. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say that Glasgow. You know, um, do you know, if Ember Rugby want to be penny pinching swines, um, but Glasgow want to have more connection to the community by having uh, youngsters from the community clubs and not charging for mascots, then that's all for the good. I think that's righted the wrongs, hasn't it? I think we're. Do you we're know all, who Jeremy's? Good. Do you know who Jeremy's counterpart is at Edinburgh? Because I think you're going to find out tomorrow morning. <laughs> I do know who it is. Hello, Stuart. Um, he. Uh, <laughs> they've got their own podcast now. They can. They can correct. They can. They can issue a state public statement or something through that. Um, if you do want to get in touch with us, like Jeremy did, for any to correct us on any of the thing we say during the podcast, we we aim to be about. Um, seventy percent right, fifty percent of the time. Um, you can email us podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Cami Black. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. Um, it's worth as well checking out the blog, which is scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, lots of stuff on there. We try and um do as much as we can in terms of coverage it's mostly opinion pieces that we tend to do there's the odd match report goes up as well um we have a post on there from our new and we're very excited about this our new mystery pundit um this is somebody very uh well known and influential within the game um we will say no more other than that um who if, for for one reason or other, you know, just just generally isn't able to express their views as freely as they might do, and and approached us and and asked if we would, we we we'd be interested in in a couple of pieces for them, and and we 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 were happy. Um, I can't say we'll always agree with with what the mystery pundit says, <laughs> but in the interest of stirring up debate, um, he's you know I think his his writing skills are good. His opinions, you know, divide opinion. I would say, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. Based the the piece that went up the other day, and I should correct you, he or she just uh, he to, or she, yes, of things, course, yeah, yeah, uh, keep things as normal as possible, yes. Um, yeah, or they, or they, or they, yeah, yeah. true. Are you misgendering people now? I'm not. What mis 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 pronouning them? Is that right? I think that's that's as. I think you're going to have to bring the good biscuits. I'm cancelled. That's me cancelled. Hi. Ian's the host now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is all going. <laughs> no, it's it's. I I liked I liked the piece. I think there was um, 
there was a lot of there was a lot of valid points within the piece. Whilst I don't necessarily agree completely with the overall sentiment, I think there was some some very well put forward arguments. Yes, yes. Essentially, say to argue that the, the the point is that um, I think that the title of the piece is "Why Scotland Will Dominate the Twenty Twenty One Lions Tour to South Africa." Some people are saying it's a you know it's it's a parody, but um, you know I think we'll leave people to think what they think about it because we don't want to do anything to that might indicate who the mystery pundit they, he, she, it may be. Um, you can also listen to this podcast on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave us a review. Now, I can't remember if I read out the last review uh, that we got on there um, because my um, my memory is shot after the, the horrors of half term. Um, however... <laughs> We did have a review from The Meaning of Fife, which says, uh, just a great, great podcast, informed, smart, and very funny. Nowhere else in world rugby will you hear a review of Scotland's World Cup put to We Didn't Start the Fire, which has had me crying with laughter for the last 10 minutes. Um, I don't think we have um, have read out that review because I think that was the last time uh, I did the podcast was when I sang We That's Didn't right. Start the Fire. Um, that was our... Um, our review of Scotland's World Cup. Uh, now, the World Cup is now over for everybody, not just Scotland. Um, it did rumble on for a bit. I don't know why anybody uh, paid any attention to it after that, but 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 it rumble on it did. Um, England lost to South Africa in the final. Uh, like I said, we've already done our review of Scotland's tournament, and you can go and listen to that in an earlier podcast if you want to. Um, Ian, I'll start with you. What, what's your take on that tournament overall? It's kind of quite a hard one to pin down. I mean, certainly from, from the point of view of Japan as hosts, I think it's been really successful, but in terms of the rugby, I mean, how do you rate that in terms of World Cup so far? I'm kind of on the fence about it. I mean, because the problem was, yes, Japan did well, but you know, it's um, it's the same old, same old, and I remember when we were doing this sort of preview uh, podcast, um, when I was on with Sandy Smith, um, one of the things I hoped for is we would see some nice attacking, flowing rugby, but uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it did sort of break down in arm wrestling. I mean, the, the Wales-South Africa game um, in the semi-final, it did get interesting. But, I mean, at the end of the first half, I, I actually tweeted uh, up to Johnny. They never got back to me, which I'm quite upset about. <laughs> um, I, just, I just wanted to know what the highest number of kicks from hand was in a semi-final because it was just... And as well, it was the quality of the kicks was quite poor as well. Um and then it's Dan Bigger's weird folly thing. I don't know how you'd class that. Um, but overall, it was a, it was a decent tournament um, in terms of play. Obviously, you know Japan were excellent. Seemed to be excellent hosts, um, and they they were one of the more exciting teams um, at the at the big show. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think I would put it above maybe last the last one in England. Obviously, that had a, a wee highlight at the start of it, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Do you, I mean, yeah, the, 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 I think um, Ian's got a point, John. That the, the 2015 World Cup had less. There was more running rugby from. I mean, I might be misremembering it, but there was certainly more running rugby from more sides with less sides that were sort of just getting into arm wrestles. Yeah, I think I think the conditions played a big part in that as well. Um, I think teams went out understanding that the level of humidity that they were going to face in Japan was probably something most of the certainly in the northern hemisphere teams weren't used to dealing with. So I think teams were more inclined to to uh, smack the leather off it. Um, 
there was there was it was so frustrating because there was moments where you could see the sort of ambition coming out in certain teams, and then inevitably it would end up with you know a pass not going to hand or a knock on or a dropped ball, uh, generally from a, a knackered second row who's you know struggling in the in the heat. So um, yeah, I mean probably I, I I came away from the tournament a bit. The 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 over, overriding emotion was meh, yeah. And that that's yeah. But I also just want to say, everyone who was not supporting England on Saturday last, you are all welcome because obviously I enacted the John gets everything wrong on the twenty nineteen Rugby World Cup curse again. Um, so yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Which is many many people grateful out there for that, John. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Looking back at it, I mean, the weather played a big part in it, not just Hurricane Haglibus, um, the, whose ramifications I think we we are yet to see. But you do wonder whether or not, with the conditions, whether there was an argument to do what they they're having to do, I suppose, in, in Qatar with the football and move it to a time of year that might have benefited. Rugby more. I know it's hard with the global calendar and things like that, and the six trying to fit things in with the Six Nations. I'm not really sure where you where you would have put it, but I suppose having it in the autumn every single time is going to limit where you can have it, Ian. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, uh, different climates, different times of year, and different hemispheres. Um, I think in Qatar, I believe they're, they're building all these sort of purpose-built stadiums uh, with. You know, no thought to more self and safety, um, but you know they're they're air, they're getting air conditioning units in. Um, I don't think was there. I can't remember any matches. Well, there's maybe a couple of matches which stopped for drinks breaks. Yeah, um, quite early on. I think early on in the tournament. I mean, the Samoa game, the Scotland Samoa game. There was talk of. I mean, we had David Barnes on here just saying how hot that had been. That there had to be journalists kind of going walking, you know, run to air conditioned rooms for five minute comfort breaks every time there's a break in play. Because um, they had the roof on for that, and I think there was a couple of other games where they had proper water breaks. But yeah, it's not like you said; it, it, they've had to move the time of year altogether in Qatar. And you just wonder whether or not shunting because it didn't seem to be so much finished towards the end of the tournament. So you just wonder if you know you shunt it back a month. One, you're clear of typhoon season, but also the weather did seem to ease off towards the end of the. T- it wasn't as much of an issue, I don't think, John, towards the end of the tournament. No, I would agree with that. I think I think there has to be. There's probably going to be a lot of lessons learned from this. Well, I hope there's going to be lessons learned from this tournament. Um, the 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 obvious one, as you rightly say, you know, holding a World Cup in typhoon season is just. I mean, we said it during the tournament, but it is all ends of stupid uh, to do that so um, I think there will be the with the move to I, I know they're obviously looking at revamping the global calendar and, or I don't know if that's been done yet or what but um, there certainly ha- will have to be some sort of chat you know if we're going to move the move the game to non-traditional areas which seem to all sit quite nicely in um, time zones and weather yeah Um in terms of um, lessons then from the from the tournament, um, Ian, do you think? I mean, there was a lot of people after the semi final, um, England's win against New Zealand, were saying they here here's the new world order. England, this, this is the start of England's reign of, of fourteen years of dominance, and it and it lasted about seven days. Um, 
I mean, do, do you think? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of England in a nutshell, really. Um, do you? Do you? I mean, do you think that's the end of that? The kind of like dominance we've seen from the All Blacks over the last sort of three. It's not really three World Cups, really. I mean, they dominated twenty fifteen. You know, two thousand seven was maybe two thousand eleven was maybe a different story. But that they have been number one for what for you know fourteen years, pretty much now. Do you, do you think we we've seen the end of that, or do you, do you think you know they're going to go away, work out, and make the way back to the top very soon? I wouldn't say it was a, a vintage All Black side. Um, obviously, you know your your 2011 and 15s. They had uh, as well as Kieran Reeds. There was Carter and McCaw, who are you know legends in the game. Um, but maybe maybe as the rest of the world's slightly catching up. Um, but you know, like I was saying a wee while back, you know, you've maybe got four teams in New Zealand, England, Wales, and Ireland who can potentially all beat each other on the day. Um, and like I always say, you know, when you get to this elite level of sport, you know, little things can can turn a match on its head. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the All Blacks then, uh, you know, if they if they get a next conveyor belt of talent of, of extreme talents um, who put them back up onto the, the sort of pedestal they were on in 2015. Um, but you know, we'll just wait and see. Yeah, I mean, what one thing I posted, I think, on the group chat. John, when I was sort of like revise, you know, now the World Cup's finished and you look back at how Scotland did and you do look at that top 10 and, and how much tighter it is. Like Ian said, there's about five teams that are all capable of beating each other on the day and you maybe look further afield and you think, well, you know, if you look how close Scotland came to beating New Zealand at Murrayfield a couple of years ago and there is something to be said about, you know, when Scotland are firing, they, you know, they, they will cause team's trouble and if if that top 10 is going to get tighter and tighter do, do you think that's what we're, comes out of this World Cup is that things are a lot closer than they have been in previous years yeah yeah absolutely and I think for me um, I, I actually I, I really liked what, what that, that question you posed in the group chat around you know um, does it does it change the reflection of the Scottish tournament? And I think it is clear that we're we're a mid-level team. There's you know there's no no getting away from it. We're not we're not a top tier. You know I'm meaning not tier one, tier two. I'm meaning top tier. As Ian said, those top four teams in the world. But you look at the rankings, and you know Wales were down in what seventh in the world, eighth in the world about a year ago. Um, Ireland are, are now down in fifth. You know, the, these te- the that midfield battle is teams are coming and going from it, but it's all very, very good teams. And Scotland have had a really, really bad run of form, if we're being honest. The, the 2019 hasn't been uh, a vintage Scotland year by any way. Um, but I think there's a lot of pressure on us now going into 2020. I think uh, the Six Nations will have. You know, we're we're past that idea of we're building to a World Cup. We're, we're you know we're no longer kind of in that zone of building a squad for that. So it will be about kind of you know only the Six Nations come come January time. So um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. Yeah, I mean, what one thing Ian, I think when going at the World Cup, there was kind of talk about whether or not having teams like Uruguay and. Canada and these sort of the the what, traditional what, what are tier three teams um, as much as I think the tiers are pretty much a nonsense really um, in the tournament if they're just there 
as whipping boys. But then you almost look at it and you, you look at what Uruguay did against Fiji and then you look at how... You know the the third teams that are going in the in the pot. You know you, you look at what Japan did, and you look at, at what Fiji, the problems Fiji caused Wales, for example, and all of a sudden things are. I think things are a lot tighter than they have been in previous World Cups. It's not just the top two seeded teams that go through from the groups anymore. Yeah, well, you know Japan have. Um... I remember back in the day was they got beat was it 140 100 New Zealand put 140 odd points on them. Yeah. Um, but obviously now as the game's grown over there in the years and they've got their own professional side now, um, Sun Wolves, even though they don't have a Super Rugby place anymore, um, you know they've these teams have grown and developed. Uh, they've the game has expanded a bit. Obviously we've still got the the, the old heads at the sort of top table, um, but. Uh, you know, with the likes of Uruguay, I was obviously that was a massive shock when they beat Fiji because, like you said, Fiji did cause Australia and Wales problems um, because individually they've got some magnificent players, the likes of Nakar- uh, Nakarawa, um, uh, Yeto and my favourite non-Scottish player in the world, Semi Randrada, um, who is just a magnificent player. Um, yeah. You know, because individually those guys they can tear teams apart. Uh, but you know, if they don't click, uh, as they saw against Uruguay, or if maybe they take their eye off the ball, then they then they lose out. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's the, the, it's the sort of expansion of tier two, what you sort of described as tier three. Um, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with this now. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's uh, it's much of a muchness. There's there's improvements, but we've seen sort of gradual improvements over the years from like when. Japan and like when we beat Ivory Coast uh, back in was that ninety nine was that um, yeah. Gavin Hastings scored like forty odd points. Um, it is getting more competitive because teams are now uh, able to bring in talent from elsewhere around the world because it's so much easier to travel. You know, or they can you know if somebody who's maybe moved from one area to another who's a, a big rugby fan, they can help out and assist. Um, so you know the the spread of knowledge is is helping those teams obviously, but obviously there's still quite a big disparity in, in quality. Yeah, um, the, picking up on the the Japan point, there's reports today that um, Japan's kind of accelerated move into uh, the rugby championship has has hit the buffers, and I think it, the New Zealand and Australia um, and Argentina and South Africa have kind of t- are starting to talk about a five year time frame rather than it being next year if not the year after and the reports are that that japan are now poised to join the six nations now the point made in the article i read was that it's no further to fly to japan than it is for japan to fly to new zealand than it would be for them to fly to europe but logistically that's utterly mad isn't it it's bonkers it's absolute bonkers and i think the I don't know if this point's been made on a previous podcast or someone uh, certainly was made in our group chat. Japan have done really well in this World Cup in a unique set of circumstances in that they're playing at home. They've been together for about 15 years as a team. Um, And it showed. But let's, let's be absolutely frank about this. They are not as good as they showed in this World Cup. And... The the idea of accelerating them into the... If they go into the rugby championship, they'll get absolutely scudded week in, week out. 
like no doubt they'll they'll get scudded. They'll go down to New Zealand. New Zealand will put a hundred points on them again. They come in at the Six Nations. I don't think them coming over to Northern Hemisphere rugby. Look at what they do every time they come over in the autumn. Have have has Scotland lost to them? Has has Italy lost to them? I don't know. Um, Scotland certainly haven't over here. So mm. I I just think it's 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 classic fans reacting to what is admittedly a, a really good success story at a home World Cup. Um, it it just strikes me as as so short sighted. Yeah. Because you imagine that the, you know the, the the travel they would have to do to come over here and fulfil their fixtures is going to be so draining on them. Yeah, that they're not going to be able to perform outside of Japan re- realistically. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, how does it work? Uh, are we going to have? Is it going to be the seven nations? Are we going to have three home, three away? Um, do they then get absolutely cuffed three games every season? I I I, I don't know. It's or, or playing devil's advocate, Ian, do we just invite them in, suck them dry of their money, and then spit them out again when they're no, not worth it anymore? <laughs> Is that the well, plan? That's, that's what uh, the New Zealand Rugby Union would have you believe, isn't it? Um, no, I think the only way feasibly you could fit it in is you would have to um, rearrange the fixture completely. Um, as, this is like when, when I was... I remember Hugo Moni wrote a column about this in The Guardian a couple of weeks back. And um, I was thinking, look, see if you do this, the only way you could fit it in would be to spread the fixtures out more than Six Nations, which incidentally I'm not massively against because when you've got that, me- you know, that many intense test matches close together, the only time you get that is in a Rugby World Cup. Um, but obviously the season is in full swing. The, the club season is in full swing at that point. Um, and we saw it with Scotland, you know, we, we had quite a, a bad injury run in, in the Six Nations. Uh, if the figures are more staggered, it would mean that you know guys who are like when Hamish Watson broke his hand, obviously he he missed two fixtures, didn't he? Um, yeah. So so if if it's more staggered, you know maybe he wouldn't miss it any or just miss the one, um, and it would also mean that uh, when you go to Murrayfield and you know you won't freeze your arse off because it's always Baltic in February and March. <laughs> the chances of England voting for that system are about the same as Japan winning a game over in the, the Autumn Test in the Northern Hemisphere. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Premier, Premier Rugby would love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, there was, um, I was listening back to the, the official Scottish Rugby podcast, um, our namesake, and um, Chris Patterson on there made a, a very strange point, and I'm like, what Chris Patterson has to say is very... Uh, obviously very knowledgeable and he's quite open I think in some of the stuff he says but he, he talked about the 2007 and 2011 World Cups at Scotland which had been disappointing for Scotland and, and how Scotland had reacted to them and learned from them and then I thought I'm not quite sure I remember it that way and I've been and checked and in 2007 um, so the 2008 um, Six Nations uh, we beat England at Murrayfield admittedly but um, we were uh, joint bottom with Italy uh, who beat us there was only two points difference in, in the points difference and then in um 2012 uh we were bottom so yeah. <laughs> i'm not entirely sure that that there have been reactions that there were reactions in 2007 and 2011 to the to the defeat certainly 2000 and 2011 wasn't it where we didn't even get out of the group yeah yeah it was yeah yep. 
that was Dan Park. That was when Dan Parks had uh, Andy Robinson persuaded poor Dan Parks to have one more go, and then yep. he got charged down and was vilified. Um, Twenty sixteen though, um, we beat France and Italy. To be fair, we came fourth. Um, there was that hateful game against England that I was at, at Murrayfield, which was absolutely appalling, horrible, horrible game to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not. Uh, do you, we've talked? I mean, there's only so. I think we've said in previous podcasts, there's only so many lessons that Scotland can learn. I can't believe someone's setting off fireworks outside my house on the day. It's not bonfire now. Shut up. Um, <laughs> it's done. It's finished. Go home. Um, there's only so many lessons Scot- time Scotland can learn before it just becomes embarrassing and becomes a, a soundbite, and it's almost been reduced to that. I mean, what f- we, we've now the dust has settled, and we know where the land lies with everybody else in this World Cup and how things have eventually panned out. What's a good World Cup? What a good Six Nations look like for Scotland, John? Third, do you think? Um, I think we need to be. We, yeah, we need to be making some progress. So I think. Yeah, th- three wins for me. Uh, I think I said this at the start of the last Six Nations as well. You know, three three wins um, with obviously with us having England and England and France at home. Um, you know that we can target certainly the France game. You would target that for a win. Obviously Italy, um, and I, despite England reaching the World Cup final, I think we would still be looking to retain the Calcutta Cup mm. again. Yeah. I mean, would you agree with that, Ian? Do you think that, that that's the, 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 the game Scotland should be targeting? Or do you think we need to kind of stretch ourselves a bit and, and start looking at how to win away from home? Um, well, we've been looking at that for years. <laughs> <laughs> I like the thing is, uh, you know, I mean, because, like you were saying there, after previous the previous World Cups, in contrast to what Chris Patterson was saying, um, to finish third is, is an achievement for us now. Um, with regards to England, uh, I think they will beat us because they've still got a relatively young team. Guys like Itoji, Farrell, they're still there. At the moment. Since, yeah. Oh, yes, well, true. We'll come on to that um, in a second. Yeah, but uh, I was thinking perhaps Ireland and Wales away, they're... That's going to be Andy Farrell's first competitive match as the head coach of Ireland. And obviously, they're going to lose. They've lost best. You imagine Johnny Sexton's gone as well. And he's been such a, a figurehead of the way they play. And also, you know, one of the best standoffs in world rugby. To lose somebody that talismanic is going to be a massive impact. And the same with Wales, especially with um, you know Gatland being one of the arguably one of the best coaches in the world, um, even though we don't like to say it. <laughs> um, Wayne P- Pivak coming in. That's going to completely change their style of play, you'd imagine. So they're only going to have a short time to, to bed in together. So I, I would, it's you know, that's the last fixture. Um, but I would hopefully, if Scotland have stopped learning and maybe graduated at this point, um, because we've had longer time together, I, I would maybe target that as, a, as an away win. Um, I, I unfortunately do think that England will beat us at Murrayfield um, because they seem to seems to have a settled sort of system inside now. Yeah. Um, speaking of England, then, we'll, we'll move away from the World Cup and, and look at the other news. And we're only mentioning this, I think, because it, it affects two incumbent Scotland players. We're certainly incumbent, as far as we know at the minute, uh, in Duncan Taylor and Sean Maitland. Um, is Saracens um, 
having been fined, was it? Is it five million pounds? Five point three million. Five point three million. And eighty-five p or something like that, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> and then they've been docked thirty-five points as well in the Gallagher Premiership for exceeding the wage cap. Now this is down. I think it was a bit. It was a, a a journalist kind of exposed this. Essentially, they on paper everyone's getting. Be all players are being paid within the wage cap. However, Nigel Ray, who is the owner of Saracens, was essentially setting up businesses with, um, with some of the bigger players, um, and the allegation is that that was a way around it. He's come out today, interestingly, and says, "Well, it's not really. I'm not really giving them anything because pr- the value of property can go up as well as down." It's like, well, Nigel, you are giving them a property in the first place. It's not <laughs> properties aren't like, sort of like appearing from thin air. Um, what I mean, it's 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 interesting in that it, potentially it has quite significant ramifications. I think for rugby in general, certainly in Europe, uh, Ian Sarans has been dominant for for a long time. I mean, is this? Uh, do you think this is the end of of of, of it, or or do you think they'll, you know, this is a storm in a teacup and they'll win the review and see it out? I did think that when when, when I heard about the investigation, because this has been ongoing for a while, we've discussed it previously. Um, I I thought you know this is just going to get brushed under the carpet because they're going to be like, we need to protect the image of Saracens. They're like the best. They're England's top team. They provide most of the England squad. Let's just be like slap on the wrist. Here's a fine maybe dock from 10 points. Um, so I was very surprised when it was the 35, which is a massive amount. You know, that's that's seven BP wins wiped off straight away. Um, uh, so uh, when it goes to review, I'd, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets reduced. Um, but, you know, it's been going on for a while. There's been, uh, the other Premiership teams have been calling it out for ages. So it was a, you know, it's, it's known to have been going on. Uh, I was surprised that the the severity of it, um, but you know it's, it's it's a massive story, um, and obviously you know if uh, like Rob Baxter was saying, um, you know if Saracens hadn't been paying these players this money, they might not even have qualified for Europe, so they wouldn't be playing in Europe in the first place, so they wouldn't be European champions. Um, so it's it's I mean it's, it's it's a massive massive story. I mean, I'm John. I'm playing devil's advocate here for a minute. From a Saracens point of view, though. They don't sign many players, realistically. We're not talking about a too long here, and you know, Murad Bujalad going and yeah. going down the Pacific Islands and draining them of talent and exploiting players and taking old All Blacks and sort of you know, paying them large amounts of money and then verbally abusing them when they don't perform. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, 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 most of the players we're talking about here have come through the Saracens Academy, and it does, yeah. and and you can see. I, you know, I, I, you can understand Nigel Ray's argument that this is a very short career for these players, and all they are doing is supporting players that have come through their academy so that they have long-term financial security later in life. Is there not something to be said then to say that players that have come through an academy system should be exempt? No, no, there's not. Um, <laughs> good, good point though. If I should have um, asked, I should have asked a more open question, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> No, next question. Um, no, I think um, Sar- Saracens, I mean, the argument is obviously that, that a lot of the boys have come through, a lot of the boys are now England internationals, and are Saracens then being punished because these guys, because they're now internationals, their value has went up? 
that that there is an argument to be made for that. However, Saracens have claimed on multiple occasions to be up to or on the budget cap, and then proceeded to sign. Let's let's list Sean Maitland, Elliot Daly has just signed. Liam Williams has signed. Um, they signed. Um, well, he, Jim, Jim, he signed Jim Hamilton for that random last, last, last season when he was on his last, last leg. Um, well, so, Will Skelton and Reese Carr as well. Will Skelton, yeah, exactly. So you're talking about, and in that period, they released academy players. They they yeah. took youngsters and, and packed them out to be replaced by internationals. And I think the point that uh, Rob Baxter made as well around, you know, Exeter had had to release uh, Cordero for salary cap reasons. He is a world-class player, and they released him because they couldn't afford to have him on their books anymore. That, you know, just because he's an Argentinian, that doesn't make it any different for me. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose like, like I said, if, if, if they were playing, playing by their own rules, then... They ought not to be making the big signings, or the signings yeah. they make should be more uh, stop gaps, I guess. Or if, or, or if people are so committed to the wolf pack culture of Saracens, they should be earning forty percent of what they're earning, and then they'll be under the salary cap. Yep. Yep. Fair point. Um, thankfully, we don't have a salary cap in uh, Scotland, although I, I suspect um, we'd get nowhere near it if, even if there was one. I, I I think our uh, our our friends over at uh, the big house have uh, have implemented a salary cap of sorts. Yes, <laughs> we can. We've got no money left. Hoggy was uh, no, he did not fit into the salary cap budget anymore. No, no, and 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 has not been replaced that we know of yet. <laughs> no, damn no. no. Um. The so yeah so the, so that's that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, the other bit of news today is the announcement of the Scotland Seven squad, and um, most of the same players. Um, I think from last time around. Um, there's one new name in there that we'll, we'll come on to in a minute, but um, it's always interesting the Seven squad just because of the way that Scotland use it. There's always the older heads. Um, you kind of see that. Um, you've got Tom Browns in there. Um, from from Edinburgh. Um. Jamie Farndale sort of seems to be more of a sevens um, regular now, and then you've you've got who um, else was on a lot of appearances when I looked before. There's a couple of others in there that that, that are definite sevens players now. But then you've got the younger players like Max McFarland looks a real talent, um, and it's been the place where they've sent um, Honito, of course, spent a couple of seasons there, and then um, Darcy Graham as well spent some time in the seven. So it's it's, it's Kyle Stain came through the Kyle, He did, yeah, he came through. So it's always one to look at for names of where the next Darcy Graham or the next George Horn's coming from. And there was a name that that popped up today, uh, Femi Sofara. I'll get this right, Femi Sofolaren. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Now the interesting thing about uh, Femi Sofolaren is that he's, he played for he played for Scotland under 19s uh, in 15s. Um, played very well by all accounts. He's um, born in America. Grandmother's from um, Scotland, so he qualifies for Scotland through his grandmother. I understand he well. He definitely also qualifies for England because he was selected for England sevens last year and played in some tests. However, he's under twenty, and you're not captured by a senior seven side until you're twenty. So he has apparently 
He's at university in Newcastle. Uh, Lewis Stewart, tell, uh, um, who writes for the Times and occasionally um, has his own podcast for Rock Sport Radio, um, got in touch on Twitter just to confirm that because he's at university in Newcastle, Scotland is more convenient for him at the minute, and he's considering his options. So it's an interesting good, one, isn't it? It's good to know that we're uh, we're, we're even in the mix. I suppose. <laughs> It's an interesting one, though, for me, in that it kind of shows, you know, for all those people that kind of go on about what, uh, you know, oh, you should just go with your heart and, you know, talk about fake Scottish players and get annoyed with, you know, kilted Kiwis and the like, is, you know, here's a guy with a genuine claim on, on different nationalities, weighing up his, a young man weighing up his options, and that's fair enough, because whatever he chooses, that... It, He's, he's he's stuck with, you know, for the rest of his career, and there's there's ramifications. You know, he you go with the the, the positives of staying for Scotland is that Scotland sevens is a definite pathway into the professional game in Scotland. You look at Kyle Stain, for example, he who went from the you know started playing for the sevens at the start of last season and was playing for Scotland by the end of it, fifteens. Um, but England don't use their sevens in the same way. So once you join the England sevens, you're pretty much a sevens player. I think there's there's a couple of, um, a couple of um, except, yeah, the boy that, exceptions the boy to that. that made the winger uh, for the Rudy, World Cup squad, Rudy McConaughey. Rudy McConaughey. Yeah, I think there's always exceptions to the rule, but generally they're they're more the other way that their sevens is separate from their fifteens. But if you side with Scotland, then you're pretty much limited in your op- your professional options because um, English teams can only have so many foreign. Uh, qualified players because um, they have to have so many English qualified players to get money from the RFU. So it's interesting, interesting quandary, isn't it? If you if you've if you've no feeling one way or the other, which way do you go, John? Um, I think you move to New Zealand and qualifying residency for them. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, what would you what what would you do if it was, it was a truly fifty fifty call between between England and Scotland? Which and and you're in his shoes. Which way would you go? Well, I'm Scottish, so I'd go Scotland. Um, but I think uh, maybe, maybe he enjoyed his time with the Scotland under-18s more than he did with England 7s, and that's why he decided to, to come back up. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe it was... Um, is it Kieran Beattie, is that the, the coach? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Kieran Beattie. Yep. Um, you know, maybe he, he's he got the gift of the gab and he managed to change his mind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you said, uh, as 7s, Seems to be a better pathway towards a sort of professional 15s contract uh, here. If that's what his heart set on, um, maybe it would be wiser to play for Scotland. Um, but you know, uh, just depends if he's if he has more of an affinity towards England, then fair play to him. If he wants to go play for England, on you go, son. But you know, if he if he wants to play for Scotland and he's good enough to play for Scotland, if it gets to that stage, then um, I'd, I'd welcome him with open arms. Yeah, he maybe did. just looks at um, looks at Eddie Jones's face and just says, <laughs> "You know what? Nah, I'm 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 going as far north as I can to get away from that." <laughs> You're right. He's already moved from down south up to Newcastle, so he's getting he's slowly creeping closer. <laughs> bless him. Um, He'll be in Iceland by next year. <laughs> um, Lewis Stewart did, did point out that he's twenty next year, so if he plays for us in the Sydney Sevens, then he'll qualify for Scotland. So, one to watch. He's a real talent. Worth watching some of his... Uh, there's a couple of tries on the World Rugby re- um, website that he scored for England last, uh, last World Sevens campaign, and he is fast. 
So he is one to watch uh, there. Um, so was Carlo Niles, but he wasn't exactly much cop at the watch. <laughs> but he was only about three foot two, so... <laughs> that, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's got that the height and the speed. So, and I can't mind Carlo Miles is still a decent sevens player. He you know, still mm-hmm. turns up for the, just just no cop at 15s. I think, he, uh, I think he, he was at Rugby X, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was, I'm yeah. Sure I heard his name at Rugby X, yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, or, power, or power ball, as I like to call it. <laughs> it should just be. It should actually just be made illegal to have him and Perry Baker on the same team. Oh, that's ridiculous! Yeah. It's, it's just like legitimately bad news for anyone, especially it's... especially at Rugby X, where it's just a basically a hundred meter sprint with a ball in your hand, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think like Carlo Niles, his fastest one hundred meters time would have won him a medal at the nineteen eighty eight Olympics. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, that's all the news. I don't think we've got any other news for the moment. Um, the, only, the only other one from the, the Sevens. Um, so, Glenn Bryce has, uh, obviously, he's been with Glasgow uh, again since the start of the season, coming back from the Sevens. So, it's been announced he's going to stay. Uh, it was quite a... Um, it was quite a strange announcement. He's going to be with Glasgow for the foreseeable future, which mm. was uh, suitably vague. Well, it would indicate, wouldn't it, that Glasgow are still searching for that. He's Glasgow are certainly viewing him as a an interim stopgap for a stopgap for a hoggy replacement, and that they haven't quite hit on one yet because he's he's twenty seven, Glenn Bryce, so he's not yeah. necessary. He's unlike you know he's an excellent sevens player, but he's not necessarily sort of exploded on the scene with Glasgow, has he? No, no. Oh, if you're if you're starting Glenn Bryce in the European Championships, uh, the European Cup games, you would be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, where is where 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 is where is Glasgow's fullback coming from? Because they don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back Sean Maitland. Yeah. See, I've actually been calling for this, right? I, I put this one to Twitter. I want Alex Good, because he never gets picked for England. He likes a bevy, and he can play uh, fullback and standoff. So there you go. I'm bringing him up. Goody on a night out in Glasgow. Yeah. Ah, that's it. If, oh. Get Alex Good up here. I'll take him on a night out. All right, and that's him. Sign sealed delivered. There we go. Yeah, if he makes it back to Scotstone. <laughs> 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 but, remember, um, you know that band, The Small Faces, that did the song Ichiku Park? Uh, apparently, they got screwed out on the royalties because the record company got them high on acid when they signed the contract. So I'll just get him so blind drunk he signs the contract, and that's him tied to it. A 17 year contract. I think that's, well, it's, it's probably doable, Ian. I think so. Um, I've got him on Facebook, so I'll, I'll give him a message. Oh, excellent. Um, speaking of Glasgow, then, um, we'll look at the the game at the weekend much better John um, yep. it's almost the opposite of, of Edinburgh in that you, you guys were saying last week that Glasgow were desperate for the Nationals to come back the Nationals came back and, and did quite the job yeah yeah I think so let's let's caveat this heavily with the Southern Kings are absolutely honking right <laughs> <laughs> so but Glasgow looked for what we could see, because obviously with all the fireworks going off, we couldn't see the first 20 minutes uh, up in the top right corner. Um, but um, yeah, it looked looked much better. There was a game plan. Um, Hastings and, and Horn, you know, as I, I'd asked Ian last week for the the, player, the players that we were missing the most. And lo and behold, we have 
uh, scrum half and a fly half who are actually competent, and it starts to look good. Um, so again, I think some of the other performances, Hugh Jones looked very good. Um, yeah, it just yeah, it's much better. Yeah, Ian, you agree with that? Not, nothing to nothing to grumble about, maybe apart from Adam Hastings could have made some more of his kicks, perhaps, but maybe the the fireworks didn't help. Yes, that's what I watched it back earlier, and um, yeah, I think you know that was the only criticism I could have because he, he had such a, a high accuracy rate from the tee last season. Um, I thought he kicked from hand beautifully. Yeah, um, DTH had an absolute barnstorm of a game. I was really surprised he didn't get man of the match, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with uh, with Hornito and Hastings, you know, um, sort of running the show, just looked a lot more comfortable in possession, looked a lot more competent, decision making was clearer, everything was sharper. Um, I thought the defence looked a lot quicker, the kick chasings just seemed um, a lot better. I mean, like John said, the Kings are pretty terrible, but um, to win 50 now, um, they've, they've actually had a couple of decent, I mean, they've lost every game, but they've, they've had a couple of close ones um, yep. at the start of the season. But no, it's. Um, it's much more like it, and hopefully that can, uh, you know, get things get things going. Do you think things? I mean, you you look at the Six Nations then, which is always a difficult period for Glasgow, or has been in the past because they've lost so many players. Do you think that that period of games during the World Cup is an indicator that things might get difficult come February March time? Then, John. Uh, yes. Yes, um, I think I think it's it's more difficult at the start of the season because obviously, um, as you say, you know Glasgow probably are still looking uh, for players. They've got um, they've got people coming. They've got the lads who's just arrived from New Zealand, the loose head. Um, you know, there's 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 bedding in time that can happen between now and the Six Nations with an awareness that perhaps the the 16 or so warriors that went away to the Scotland uh, camp, I don't think there'll be as many as that away this time round. And you've also got the idea of, you know, those guys were away and that was it. They were away. Whereas with the Six Nations, there is the opportunity for people to be released back to clubs or in in dire emergencies, even fill in, you know, the fill in on the off weeks. Was it last? Was it last season that that Rory Jackson? Yeah, yep. Played for Scotland one day and then Glasgow the next. Uh, yeah, he played. I he came I think on he five minutes or something for Scotland, didn't he? Or... Yeah, yeah, he came on for Scotland. That was the Australia game, I believe. Australia game. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he was a twenty fourth man because Hog pulled yeah, out early. Hog pulled out early, and uh, um, was his face. Uh, Byron McGuigan started. Um, and yeah, Jackson came on and then went f- straight down to Cardiff and played for Glasgow. <laughs> it's mad. Outstanding. Um, That's devotion yeah. for you. I mean, yeah, it's still quite a lot to do, I suppose. It's not the greatest start of the season. They've got to pay, you know, that's a statement of intent, I suppose, that, you know, 50 0 victories, a good start, but it's it's not a, a you know, a 35 point deduction like Saracens, but it's still a long <laughs> way to go in terms of making. The playoff scene, or do you think? Do you think is it, that's it now? The 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 back, so to speak. I wouldn't like to count my chickens before they hatch. Um, obviously, it was a, a very very poor start. Uh, only it's only one win. Yeah. Um, yep. So we've got a fair bit of ground to make up. Um, during the Six Nations, um, we all have, uh, you know, um, Delacoto, the hooker. He was with Fiji. DTH, he'll be there as well. Uh, the Nook, 
he'll be available. He was obviously at the World Cup with Tonga. So there is, you know, there's there's three international players straight away there that could come back in. Um I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Nico. Nico. Uh, Nico was was he in the World Cup? Oh yeah, yeah he was. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I was just coming to get dropped for the when we played Fiji in the autumn. He wasn't in the squad, which I yeah, was yeah, yeah, get back in the squad for um, the World Cup. One yeah. thing that I'm slightly terrified about, though, um, I don't know if you've seen this, that there's certain websites claiming that Munster have arranged to sign both Damien D'Alendi and R.G. Snyman. Oofed. Yeah, um, I don't know when that's due, when, uh, when these are meant to take place. I, I could look it up, but I can't be bothered. Um, but that is an absolutely terrifying thought. That's a, that's a whole heap of South African meat coming over yeah. there. Yeah, that does make things slightly interesting from a Pro 14 point of view. I mean, there, there must come a point where, again, you can forget, you know, with the IRFU, you would think, well, that's, you know, it's fine if you bring it through these academy players, and it's a bit like the yep. Saracens thing, and and uh, you're just paying them because they're Irish nationals or they're thereabouts with the Ireland squad. But the moment you start bringing, I think the moment you start bringing in tier one internationalists into the Pro 14, yeah, you 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 know, I think you then have to start considering what well, does do you need a pro? Do you have a pro need a salary cap and ring fence squads for the Pro 14? Well, that would that would make sense, except obviously the dominant partner in mm-hmm. the Pro Fourteen Celtic League is Italy. Our, our, <laughs> it's is our is our cousins that also start with an I. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the I I would be very surprised if they were not quite happy with their financial advantages at the moment and yeah. quite happy for that to continue. And we will take our ball home. Should or go take our ball elsewhere? Should you start to kick up a fuss about this? I guess. Well. Uh, if they could take the referees home, that would be just fine. Speaking of referees... Oh, played that well. <laughs> I know you played it very well. I'm, I'm going to talk about the Ember game in a minute, but I just wanted to um, give a mention to Sam Grove-White and Holly Davison, who refereed the Ulster-Zebra game. Um, now, I only watched the highlights of this, um, as I did with Glasgow and Ember this um, week, because I didn't have time to watch the full games. But um, that was some high quality that even by pro 14 standards the low standard set by the pro 14 in general the the standard of officiating in that game was really high i mean i've i've not seen i know um sam grove white's been officiating i think for a couple of seasons now on the pro 14 but it was really absolutely all the decisions were very clearly explained really decisive called it called a penalty try when it should have been one where other referees wouldn't have given it uh, on a rolling mall that just went to pieces, um, straight under the post, no hesitation at all. And the communication with uh, Holly Davison and the other touch judge was there. They were working as a team. It was, it was. I think if you were watching, I mean, obviously with vested interest with them being Scottish referees, but you you watching that for a refereeing performance, and it was absolutely top drawer. It's everything you wanted. Decisions explained, decisions made, and made by the book. And you can't, you know, I don't think anybody can have any complaints about the uh, any of the decisions made in that game. So that's, I mean, it's good to see. Them. I mean, the, the the young ref referees, young officials coming through. And uh, yes, the standard of Pro Fourteen officiating has been low. And yes, Scotland have not necessarily qual- contributed the most highest quality officials in the past. Ooh, I like that. However, it's good to see 
it was good to see the way that game was refereed, and it was good to see that it was Scottish, Scottish officials in charge. I think with that in mind as well, just a, um, the the referee in the the uh, Glasgow Kings game was absolutely outstanding as well, just to kind of give a degree of um, it was joy. Never wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. was absolutely brilliant. Um, but again, as to your point, you know, the clear, clear communication. She got a couple of things wrong, um, and actually corrected herself. And the way she just she just apologised to the captain, just like, oh, sorry, got that wrong. Yep, let's fix it. It was it was really refreshing. Yeah, and you can't have any complaints with that when a referee does that mid game and says, "Sorry, guys, I've got that wrong. I'm going. To, I'm changing my call." You, yeah. It's better that than just to plough on blindly with with the mistake. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, like some of the the which is not wonder buses we've seen. Yes, so no, it was good, and I think when you look at the. It's actually quite interesting when you start looking into. I mean, uh, Ruri Campbell, who uh, used to write for the blog, I think Ruri's pretty much takes all his time taking up a referee in these days. Um, the SRU of really investing in young referees. I mean, I was reading Sam White, uh, Grove White has been um, refereed across in America on a kind of a, a Pro 14 exchange. I know Ruri's been out to do things like the Amsterdam Sevens. Um, I think Sam Grove White and Holly Davidson have both done the World Sevens tournaments. Um, and again, I was really, I watched Holly Davidson. Um, it was the Women's Shield or Cup final. I can't remember which one it was. I was watching that Um at Murrayfield and again just the communication is absolutely excellent so it's quite exciting to, it kind of feels like we're on on the cusp of quite an exciting time for Scottish officials and that sounds a really sad thing geeky thing to be excited about <laughs> we're about to get some really top draw referees lads hooray oh um, and anyway while we're speaking about referees let's speak about the Emra game um, I know Benetton had a good season last year but given they're off the back of what was it a three nil win over Zebra, <laughs> it's not. I, I, it was, it was almost the opposite of Glasgow. And whereas Glasgow benefited from the nationals coming back, he kind of wondered whether or not Richard Cockrell couldn't have hung off another week. <laughs> Is that fair, Ian, or am I am I am I being harsh? Do you think? Uh, I think maybe a touch harsh. Um, I mean, because it was it was very tight and just uh, you know Vanderbilt. Oh, have you got the music lined up? Has you said it? Um, oh, you just said it, and I've not got it lined up. I can't. I can oh, play. Do you want me to play it? Nah, I've got it right. here. Um, um, but he had two chances to win the game, and uh, you know he was uh, most accurate kicker in the in the league last season. Uh, but I don't know if you, if, if you've seen it, but the clear in, clear out by Herbst um, on I think it was Mike Valenza, and it, he's only given a penalty. It is a Torpedoing shoulder charge right into his uh, ribs. I mean, if he'd hit him in the head, it could have done some serious damage. And he's given the penalty, but in every bit of the framework you would look at, that's a clear yellow card. And he's lucky he didn't crack Valemsa in the head. Um, and Valemsa's lucky as well. It was a really poor decision. Why, why the TMO? And I'm, I mean, if it was Ben Skeen, would he still be here looking at it? <laughs> um, <laughs> why the TMO didn't get involved and say, look, I think you should look at it again, Ben, because that's really dangerous. Uh, you know, we're. It's 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 a horrible recurring theme that we have to keep talking about this, but you know TMOs they've got the easiest job out of all the officials. Um, they yeah. can review things from all angles, and and they're getting it wrong. Um, I thought Ben Whitehead's got another couple of things wrong. He's he's uh, applying of the laws at the breakdown was a bit odd. Sometimes he would give players 
like no time to release the ball. Sometimes he was giving it too long. Um, so you know that's what Cockers was moaning about that. Um, and I think rightly so. I've, I've stood up for Ben Whitehouse previously, but um, he, he did, it wasn't his best day on Saturday. The conditions were pretty honking. Um, it was they were. Absolutely they were, but um, I mean, Ember's d- discipline as well was suspect at times or non-existent at times. I don't, they were almost their own worst enemies in that regard. I mean, you, you play. I know it's hard to play the referee when he's changed his interpretation of the rules every second breakdown, but at the same time, <laughs> there were some pretty blatant fouls by Ember at times and if they yeah. just tightened things up a little bit and you know the again that you know the the, the missed the, the missed the opportunity to kind of get get the score late on and I don't know, I, I feel I feel like you can't blame the there's a lot being placed on the referee and I, as much as it would have contributed to Embra that that game was winnable no it absolutely was and you know, we've talked in this podcast about, uh, in the past about you know take the ref out of the equation. That that's that's all you're trying to do. If you if a ref's having a shocking day, take him out of the equation. Get the get the scoreboard ticking. Get the points on the board. Keep yourself squeaky clean. You know, professional rugby players know fine well when they're smashing in at the side or they're three feet offside. They know fine well. Um, you you need to play the play the the, the guy in front of you, but t- again take him out of the equation. He has two kicks at goal to win the game. What one kick at goal? Any any goal kicker worth his salt would put his hands up and say, "Do you know what? That's fine. That's all I need." He had two shots and he bottled it. It it just it just. I mean, the conditions were bad, but that's what he's in the team to do to win that game with the kicks, and he didn't do it. Um. Yeah. I mean, you got. Again, Henry Pergos. I mean, somebody, somebody on the comments suggesting that Henry Pergos was the best scrum half at the World Cup. Um, oh. may, may, it wasn't our mystery pundit either. But um, <laughs> yeah, again, you, you're looking at, and I know it's early days with Jamie Dobie, but uh, at Glasgow. But again, it's kind of feel for Ember because Glasgow are looking like they've got three very good scrum halves again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Richard might be putting his hand up and asking nicely for one. For one, I know summer. exactly. Um, but again, you know, you you, you think about it. Jacko Vanderbilt did did <laughs> did, did, did uh, <laughs> there for there you go. You know, he did miss quite a few chances as well. So um, you've got to make your kicks at the end of the day, Jacko. Um, it's quite interesting. It's almost like a reversal because uh, you know Simon Hickey had such a. A poor season last year really sort of struggled to sort of exert his influence on games, and it was all Jakob van der Voort. But it's almost kind of switched this season. It's almost like Ember cursed not to have one good, one good ten at any one time, <laughs> apart from Duncan Weir, who uh, you know has moved on. Um, was rubbish when he was there, and then has now decided to become. Well, he apparently... was. He was good when he was good once they released him. They yeah, said when they, right. said when they said we're ending your contract, and then he got really good at the end of the season. Yeah, didn't he? Did he not score like a match-winning penalty away at Leinster? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He him a couple of games. Yeah. I think the secret with Duncan Weir is to tell him that he constantly tell him his contract's at an end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just keep him on a monthly rolling contract, a yeah. zero-hours contract for Duncan Weir. Let's see. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if you believe most Scotland fans now, Duncan Weir is in fact. The 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 spawn of Dan Carter and Johnny Wilkinson all in one. Yeah. Um, it's suddenly achieved Godzilla status in the eyes of Scottish rugby fans. 
Um, I don't think we've got any more to say about the Pro 14 for the minute. Um, ah. We are where we are with it. We'll see how things go. It's not, you know, it, I don't think we can start spotting any trends, but Ember probably need to tighten things up and Glasgow just need to keep going as they're going, I guess. Ian, you sounded like you were about to say something. Uh, yes, yeah, just to follow up on the um, DLND Snyman uh, hot gossip that I gave you. Um, apparently, it'll be uh, next season, twenty twenty one, that they'll they'll be joining um, because they are contracted to uh, uh, DLND's with the Wild Knights, and Snyman is the Wild Knights. That's not a real team name. Someone's made yep. that up. <laughs> Will there be a hard border between us and Munster by that point? And can we like refuse to let them through? Has there ever not been a hard border in our hearts when it comes to Munster? <laughs> I think there's, there's a hard border in Cork from the rest of Ireland. <laughs> Having been in Cork, I totally yes, I, agree. I, yeah. I when I went to Cork, I met the most ununderstandable. Um, taxi driver in the history of men. I I don't know what language this man was speaking. I believe it was a, an amalgamation of Corkian and and possibly Finnish. It was ridiculous. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, moving moving swiftly on before we uh, we get dragged into some sort of political chat. Um, the um, we'll do. We've got a couple of good Wes Doogie Donnellys this week. I'm not going to do the jingle because my, my mixer seems a bit crackly, and I don't want to. I don't want to be up all night trying to get rid of it. Um, the first one we had was uh, Blair Mosscrop, who saw Pete Horn dressed as Barney Rubble (brackets I think) coming out of Hoggy's pub on Saturday afternoon. Um, I don't know if he thinks it was Pete Horn or if he's not sure if it was Barney Rubble. Um, <laughs> or uh, did you see the um, the halftime interview on the uh, on the Warriors game? Was, no. Uh, the, the interviewer, uh, Pete Horn, went over. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she said, I'm, I'm joined now by George Horn. So, George, five tries in the first half. How's that going? He was like, uh, It's Pete, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did she turn around at that point and say, All right, okay, don't waste me, mate. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's not like, I don't know, if he was Barney Rubble, then presumably someone was Fred Flintstone. And it wasn't George Horn because George Horn was, was dressed as a girl. It was a really yeah. disturbing picture. That was terrifying. Yeah, apparently, apparently, it's meant to be eleven from Stranger Things. Is that? Um, I, get, I knew it was something to do with Stranger Things, but I didn't. Yeah. I haven't watched it. Yeah, it just looked like a very a, a psychopathic ex-girlfriend had turned up at someone's door <laughs> demanding all the CDs back. <laughs> Got to be straight up here. If he, if that's meant to be eleven, that's awful. That's not very good, George. I mean, a psychopathic ex-girlfriend I can go with eleven from Stranger Things. No, nah. there's, there's some very very strong uh, fancy dress uh, game from Glasgow. Uh, as as they're always it, as as there always has been sometimes too a little too strong uh, <laughs> yeah. from some individuals at times. Some people being a bit too in character. <laughs> Not mentioning anyone in particular. Um, we'll move on from that uh, before we get ourselves sued. Uh, Fee got in touch on Twitter. She said she saw George Turner in Castorfin Tesco's a couple of hours after the Glasgow loss to the Dragons. He was reading the match report and match stats. He didn't look delighted. She said, uh, and this is great, she've got, we, we finally got people giving us the details we want. She said his basket had popcorn and stuff to make fajitas in it. Nice. So um, Fee said she thought it looked like he was getting ready for a Saturday evening in front of the telly. Um, so mine, I hope, I hope uh, Jeremy's not listening to this. I might be I know, getting he's just people gonna... in trouble on uh, for, from the from the new Glasgow nutritionists. 
George Turner's just made fat camp. <laughs> uh, and the other one, it was another. This is another uh, supermarket uh, spot as well. Um, I assume people are, people people shouldn't be following. We're not encouraging people to follow players around. It was uh, Simon Condy said he saw Grant Stewart and his local co-op. Probably not that exciting, given it's also his local co-op. Said uh, it was very cold outside that night, though, and he had shorts and a t-shirt on, though. Which is, I think, actually standard front row gear any time of year, isn't it? Standard rugby wear any time of year. Yeah, shorts and a t-shirt on. He can shift, can't he? That Nico Matawalu try. Yes. I was like, I was like, who's support? I, I watched it and I was like, oh yeah, he's there. He might, I assumed that he was down that end of the pitch anyway and it just ambled across. But then I watched the replay and he pretty much ran the length of the pitch and kept up with Nico Matawalu. So. They've not taken George Horn. Oof. Oof. Um, that's it for Where's Dougie Donnelly. That's our part of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch with any players or Scottish rugby associated personalities you've seen out and about. The um, more detail, the better. That's what we want. We want detail. Not that you've seen someone because that's boring and dull. Just we want to know what they were doing. And if you can make them in any way feel uncomfortable, then there's an added bonus. Um, <laughs> some sort of awkward selfie, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you a prize of some sort. Um, Simon uh, also got in touch with us um, to suggest, it was like suggested we a quick wee section on this. Um, Simon's suggestion was that we think of jobs for rugby players based on well I think Simon's suggestion was based on their name but then I saw, did you see the video of, of Nick Grigg having a go at driving a lorry and looking <laughs> the most comfortable I've ever seen Nick Grigg look in his life did they have him on a booster seat they didn't know which <laughs> he just looked for all the world like a lorry driver I, I, I half expected him to jump out the cab and go for a poo and a lay-by he just looked so <laughs> Copy of the Daily Sport in the dashboard. That's it, you know. It looked so at ease. I think it's Blood Mud have said before. He just looks like he just looks like a plumber. If Nick came, Greg came around the house to quote you on a new boiler, you wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't blink, would you? Um, anyway, Simon said that uh, he, he he wants a series of rugby players with names that don't sound like rugby players. Now, I thought you can also think of jobs for rugby players based on their attributes or their, their appearance as well. So uh, Simon's suggestions was Darcy Ray as a ballet dancer, which I thought was very good. Faf de Klerk as a job was worth office worker. Yep. Um, and um, we had a, a couple of others on Twitter. Um, who else got in touch with this one? Um, we had quite a few of these. Uh, Ian Wheeler said Rob Harley as a dodgy motorbike dealer. Oh, I can see that. That's good. Rob Harley, yeah, that's good. Um, Tommy Seymour as a window cleaner. That was Andy Niven. Uh, that's a stretch. I've got Tommy Seymour as for one as well, but we'll go we'll come to that. Uh, and then Simon got back in touch after suggest that saying Willie Rulu is a flamboyant stage performer and the alternate reality son of a nut of Danny. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I like that one. Um, John, what have you got? Uh, so I've got two. I've got um, so it's not not based on the name. It's more based on their attributes slash previous actions. So we've got uh, Brian Alwinesi as a health and safety officer. Yeah, of course, for his, yes. Uh, for his previous previous antics at the Scotsman videos, and I've got Tommy Seymour as well. But I was I was trying to be more cerebral about this. Um, I think Tommy as an international diplomat because. He holds about 50 passports, so, you know, we, we wouldn't need to worry about that. <laughs> True, Tommy Seymour's got him, what, 
he's got diplomatic immunity. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I mean, obviously. Obviously. He should have. Uh, Ian, did you get any? Um, yeah, um, well, attributes. Uh, ben Tammy Funa, who's returned from the Rugby World Cup to Racing 92, apparently wearing 160 kilograms. <laughs> um, and so I looked this up, and apparently the average weight of a sumo is 148, so he should have just stayed in Japan. <laughs> um, um, attributes Adam Hastings, dentist. Yep. yep. Um, and Owen Farrell, uh, a t shirt mannequin. <laughs> yes very very good um, I had one but it's escaped me now oh I know uh, Ben Skeen as a historian <laughs> I always thought history was boring so there we go <laughs> there you go exactly go and just spend his time sort of talking talking about historic things as though they've just happened um, reviewing them again and again and we again he likes to look back on stuff doesn't he exactly <laughs> Um, check my check. I just want to check the uh, just want to check the beheading of uh, Henry VIII's wife there, mate. <laughs> the executioner was a little offside. I, check. I swung the X, <laughs> <laughs> swung the X a bit early there, mate. <laughs> Can we just roll it back a couple of faces? <laughs> it's definitely high, it's above the shoulder. <laughs> Um, Again, you guys should just do a whole podcast episode as Ben Skin. Right. <laughs> it would be awesome. Um, we'll move on. We'll do. We'll do hands in the rock then. Um, while I try and find the ones off uh, Twitter, what, what quickly in because I'm running out of time while we record here and we, we've we've rattled on for a long time. What's your hands in the rock this week? Well, um, one thing that I'm not glad, uh, I am glad to see the back of in the World Cup is uh, on your social media, particularly Twitter, um, it's the ITV Twitter accounts and the Rugby World Cup official one. All the sort of overuse of these, the, like hashtag respect and all that thing. Um, and the, the one that they kept on doing was, you know, when they had the players out with their kids, it's family is everything. It's like, oh. when you, it's, what are you, it's Dom Toretto from Fast and the Furious running this account. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, and the BBC have been using that in a, in a promo for EastEnders. So if it was ITV that was actually using that, that's pretty good trolling. Um, but you know, it's just all these cliched modelling the Hallmark card. Can I say uh, rubbish? No. Just say right, rubbish. Say, <laughs> all right, rubbish. No. <laughs> it's going to be a part of male uh, male anatomy, shall we say? <laughs> Yeah, no, yes, I'd agree with that. Answer. Yeah, I think the respect thing's been. It's all. I always find the whole rugby. We've said before. We find the whole rugby values things are nonsense. Especially like was like what Chris Robshaw came out today and said. You know, as much as you hold the high moral ground over football and the like, yeah. and all of a sudden you see what Saracens have done, and it's like yeah. you can't kind of have the moral high ground. There's plenty of stuff that's gone on in the World Cup that's massively yeah. disrespectful. Yeah. You talk about respect, yeah. and everyone's cheering England for doing a V against, you know. The All Blacks they haven't got an issue with it, but you can, on the one hand, start going about rugby and respect, and then everyone be saying that it's fair game to start taking the mick out of the All Blacks' cultural heritage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like you know when people bang on about oh you know uh, they, they use what could be classed as possibly misogynistic or homophobic terms about football, calling it Wendy Ball and uh, a worse one which starts with letter P. Um, and then, you know, moaning about players diving and cheating. We've seen diving step into rugby. Yeah. And also, the, and then you go on about, uh, you know, people show off about dodgy things they've done when they were props or the, the dark arts of the back row. It's cheating. 
All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are cheating to win. If you're diving at football, you're cheating to try and get somebody set off. If you've, you know, if you're cheating at rugby, you're still cheating to win. You know, that's that's. I don't see anything respectful about that. No, to be fair. and it's why we love the game. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um. Well, one we had one from um Twitter, which is uh, feed me crumble, who said his hands in the ruck is all the. I'm not going to say the word. He says all the all the people telling you that you should be supporting England in the Rugby World Cup final. Bloody thought police. <laughs> I agree with that. You should support whoever you want. If you want to support, I was supporting rugby that day. That was who I was supporting. Um, John, what's your hands in the ruck? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to have a go at um, scrums, and in particular, scrum penalties. Um, I am starting to get a bit fed up with... Um, it was evident in the Glasgow Kings game, and it was evident in... As much as I enjoyed South Africa scrum, absolutely mooring England, I felt a bit sorry for them because it didn't matter what they did. Just, I don't think it's a penalty for getting marched backwards, and yet they were penalised every time. And it was the same with the Kings against Glasgow. Um, referees need to take a look at this and actually start to think, you know what, well, they're basically changing the whole complexion of the game just because a scrum has the upper hand. Um, it really does sort of tie into the whole, you know, forwards uh, win matches and backs decide how much. Well, it's actually scrums win matches um, and decide how many five-metre line-outs you're going to have, um, which I don't think is right. And the second point about scrums, I the whole idea of... See when, see when the referee... Uh, when it collapses now, the referee says, use it. And teams, we saw it at the World Cup and we're seeing it in the club game, teams continue to push. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And then he calls a penalty. And you're like, you said use it. You should you should reset yeah. the scrum. And I, I don't want reset scrums, let's be clear. But if you call use it, they should have to play it. And I think they should look at maybe just swapping the ball over to the opposition. If you call use it and you don't use it, same as a mall, just change it over. Change possession over. Yeah. And that is, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a good, as good a point as any to leave it on that fine point, John. Before my wee recorder runs out of time and battery, um, and we've 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 gone on for quite a long time, despite the fact all three of us turned up with no notes to see, <laughs> just to so have a wee <laughs> chat. Um, we will be back uh, probably next week. We'll uh, have a wee chat, see what's happened over the weekend, catch up with any news. It's Super Six weekend. So we'll maybe see how that's gone if uh, if if any of us get the chance to watch, see if we catch up with Sandy. Thousand tickets sold for Boromir Bears. Who knew? Who knew? Um, in the meantime, check out the blog, check out Facebook, check out Twitter uh, for any news and views from the blog, and also check out our Redbubble store. We have a new range of Christmas merchandise on there, so do have a look at that. Uh, you can buy Christmas cards, T-shirts, Christmas jumpers all with Scottish rugby-inspired designs. My favourite one is uh, We Miss You a Merry Mishmas. It's quite a mouthful, <laughs> but it looks nice. Uh, we've also got All I Want for Christmas is Hugh, with a picture of Hugh Jones on it as well. So um, do check that out. You can find that on the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. But for the moment, it's goodbye from me, and goodbye from Ian and John. Cheerio. Cheerio. Yeah.